Well, good morning. Good morning. Boy, it's such a joy to be back. I had a new song this morning, and uh, I don't get much of a chance to be here. I've been out at the VA, but I haven't been preaching for five months because we haven't been able to have services. But God's still moving out at the VA. Uh, we had uh, four vets baptized in a church a few weeks ago. And um, they allowed us to have eight in a group, and so we had a Bible study, and eight veterans showed up. And, that, and uh, we'll share a little bit more about what's going on with some of our vets, but there's a real spiritual fervor. God's not limited by our economy and by all these things that we're going through. Uh, one of my real joys in working at the VA is uh, our uh, head chaplain, and his name is Felix, Felix Vistel. He's a wonderful man. Been a really blessing to work underneath his leadership. And uh, because his name is Felix, that he says that, you know, we have to be Felixable uh, in these days. And so that's kind of our watchword over the VA. I know it's a watchword everywhere, isn't it? Is that uh, we have to be Felixable. And I shared last night, just actually kind of came during the worship time last night, that uh, saying, what is God doing in the midst of all this? He promised to work all things together for good, right? And I, I, I remember when I was working in the healer rooms that, uh, we had an incident one time where all these people showed up, like 30 people, and uh, we were on the second floor of the healing rooms, and we had a school underneath us, so we were pretty concerned about being quiet. And we had like 30 people come in, and they were teenagers, and the kids were running down the fire escape and slamming the doors, and I, I was in the rooms at the time, and I said, what, what is going on? It came out. And... Uh, one of the um, fellows that we had prayed for said, I want every one of my family members to get prayer. So they did. They all came in and they all showed up at the same time. And uh, teenagers and little kids, and of course there wasn't, you know, we were accommodating that. And I was talking to the Lord about that. I was concerned about that. And he says, Steve, revival is messy. <laughs> and I realized what he meant by that, that uh, all of our parameters, all of our habits are out of the way when revival comes. We're praying for revival, but we have to be felixable. And uh, if, you know, hundreds of people are coming to the Lord and, and Pastor Dan says, hey, can you come down to the church and help us pray for these people? You know, they're in spiritual distress. We need to pray for them. You know, can I leave my TV set? Can I leave my football game? Can I leave the, the things that I normally do in order to accommodate that? And I've often wondered whether I was ready for that or whether our church was ready for that. And I think that during this virus, every day is different. I, we can't plan for next week. We don't know what's going to happen. And maybe in all of that, although, of course, we want the, the virus to end and, and uh, to get on with business as we normally do, but, but hopefully that when revival comes, which usually follows an economic downturn, if you follow the history of revivals, you see that uh, they always seem to occur during a downtime in the, in the economy. And we're expecting, if you remember the 60s and how tumultuous the 60s were and riots and protests and all that, and the 70s brought forth the Jesus movement. And uh, thousands coming to the Lord. We're expecting that here, uh, that uh, God's going to answer our prayers for revival and he tells us to pray and uh, he does the rest. He'll heal our land, right? So if you're being stretched a little bit, it's probably that God is preparing us for something even greater that we don't see right at the moment. Okay. I want to tell you a little story very quickly. I won't get into all the details I did last night. But uh, I had a little spiritual lesson in kind of a strange way. Uh, I won't tell you all the details of it, but I wanted to get some riding boots. 
and some knee-high riding boots. And so I looked everywhere online, you know, I went down to the boot barn, I could find out, you know, that the style's different, you know, a size 10 in one boot is different, size 10 in another boot. So I said, how can I order something online? Anyway, I finally got a hold of someone and uh, ordered the boots and they came at 7.30 on a Friday night. And uh, I put them on, had a little difficulty getting them on, but they fit just perfect. And I love these boots. So I was walking around the house. I never had boots before, you know, so I had these riding boots. Now I just have to find a horse. That, that's the next thing I have to get. You know, I'm trusting the Lord will provide that. But I got the boots, so I'm ready to go. So I'm walking around with these boots, you know, down the house. I said, these feel pretty good until I tried to take them off. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, okay, it's just time to take the boots off. I could not get the boots off. I tried everything to get these boots off. I said, man, you got to have biceps like Mr. Universe, you know, to get these things off. And uh, I said last night, I said, I usually don't consider myself a weak person at all, but I was feeling pretty much like a wuss, you know, like a, I just can't get my boots off. So I was thinking of all these imaginative things, of, wait, how to get out of this complex dilemma. I called the boot barn and someone answered and I said, oh, that's great. You know, someone's there and said, sorry, we're closed. I'm just answering the phone, but you can come down tomorrow morning and pick up a boot jack and that should help you out. And uh, so I found out what a boot jack was. Next day I went down and got one. And uh, so I said, well, what do I do? I, I can't sleep in these things. You know, I, I don't want to sleep in the boots. I've never done that before. And so finally, with all these things, how do I do it? I'm looking around the house for some kind of implement, you know, that I can put so I can get this, this thing out of my boot. So I finally decided to bring it to the Lord after all this angst. And I said, Lord, you have creative ideas. You know what to do. And a voice is shot into my head. And I hadn't thought of this before, this option. But he says, pull your pant legs out. And I had jeans, you know, that were tucked into the boots. And so I pulled the... the uh, the, the pant legs up, and then it loosened up the boot enough where I could pull my, my foot out. And you know what I learned from that? Of course, I still had to muscle it out. I still had to do it. But it was doable because God had given me something doable to do. And uh, quite often, I find this to be a spiritual principle, that God says, I'm not going to give you something really complex. If you're thinking about all the complex ways of resolving the economy and getting your finances and you know, in order, and where is the income, income coming from? It gets so complex. We just burn our brain out trying to think of all the things that can be done. But God gives us something doable, and he says, if you start there, if you do that, then the rest will follow. And uh, in this case, God just had a very simple solution. I didn't have to, you know, build a hoist, you know, hang myself up down, upside down, and pull the boot off that way. I didn't have to make a contraption. I was thinking of going into the workshop and spending my evening making a boot jack. A very simple solution, the answer was right there. God knew that. And I think it's that spiritual principle that I see throughout scripture that God says, you do this and I'll do the rest. And our starting point, I'm uh, thankful for Graham Cook. He had a marvelous series on renewing the mind. And here was one of his premises. He said, your starting point determines your outcome. If you start out the right way, you're moving things in the right direction for a good outcome. And that's true, isn't it? And so he said, what is the doable thing that God has us do? Uh, we're all dealing with uh, all the changes and the struggles and economy and family issues and concern for elderly relatives and all of these things. What can I do that's doable 
that will start things in motion and bring about a good outcome. And I want to say to you that I believe what that is, is to speak God's word. It's a starting point, to speak God's word. When we speak, something moves. When you verbalize something, when you say it out, outside of yourself, into an environment, into a relationship, something moves. And if we speak God's word, something moves in the right direction, towards solution, towards completion. So I want to give you some motivations for speaking God's word. One is the entire creation is made to respond to a voice. You know, God, what does it say in Hebrews 1.3? God upholds the universe by his, what? Word of power. How is it that sons can hang out there and maintain this kind of order, just suspend it out there? He says God sustains it by his word. He says, let there be light. And the Holy Spirit does the work and brings light into being. Energy, animation, just by his spoken word. Doesn't it make sense to you? It makes sense to me that God has created the universe, everything that we see around us, even us. He's created us to respond to his voice, to resonate with his word. Now, they found out in quantum mechanics, I know nothing about this. If you know something about quantum mechanics, get a hold of me for a week and try to explain it to me because I have no idea what you know, wave theory and string theory and, and, and electrons and all of that means. But I did lay hold of this. And they say that the structure of an atom, it has a nucleus, but these electrons and these particles are going around the uh, nucleus. And uh, they're kind of coming in, but they, they don't have strict orbits, but they just come in. There's an order to it, the way they move. And when they move, it sets up oscillations, what they call oscillations. It's, they're waves. And when these oscillations occur, vibrations begin. Now, you know enough about sound to know that sound comes from what? Something waves, it's a wave, and there's a vibration. You pluck a guitar string, and it plays, it sounds, it vibrates, and it sends a sound out. And so quantum mechanics is helping us to realize that the entire creation has this element of making sound, of sending up a vibration to God. Um, my imagination goes, well, I shared this last night, and I said, I, I can't imagine. It says in Scripture, all creation sings. You know, the trees of the field clap their hands. It's metaphoric, metaphorical, of course, but science is saying that's actually true. Everything in creation is singing to God. It's sending a vibration that he can interpret, that he can hear. And I say, imagine when you're, you know, in the, before the throne of God, and, and all these myriads of angels singing praise to him and all of the creation, these vibrations coming up, and these overtones of, of beauty with no dissonance whatsoever. I can't even fathom the kind of music and the kind of sound that that would be around the throne of God. When we speak, something happens. The entire creation responds to that. Now, just to kind of show you that, um, a fellow named Dr. Emoto did an experiment. He wanted to see what the impact of words were. And so he uh, had 52 bottles of water 
and he put different words around that bottle and uh, put it, froze them, and then with high-speed photography, electron photography, he took a picture of the water crystals to see what happens to water exposed to different words. Now, I want to show you, when he put love and gratitude around the water crystal, this is what he found. Well, that's, that's love and thanks, love and gratitude. Isn't that beautiful? That's a water crystal. It looks like a diamond. Just perfect, six-sided thing. Okay? Well, let's look at the one for eternity, which he wrapped in eternity. Isn't that gorgeous? Everyone a little different, but that hexagonal. Beautiful. And the other one was beauty. Isn't that beautiful? It's like a diamond, isn't it? It's gorgeous. And then the word Christianity. This is interesting. Look at that. Like there's a center and all these groups around the center. It's almost like uh, it's almost like vocalizing what our church is like. Beautiful. Okay? Now, he also has some other words that he, he did. See what happens when he says, you fool. That's the water crystal, completely disoriented. And also the word, you make me sick. It's water. Still H2O, but it's lost that hexagonal type of structure. The word Satan. That looks a little bit intimidating, doesn't it? And uh, if you like Elvis Presley, Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> There's Heartbreak Hotel. It's trying to get there, but not quite. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so our words make a difference. So um, he did another experiment with rice. And uh, with rice, he took three containers. They were all made from the same pot. He put them in uh, clean containers, poured water over them, and for a month spoke every day a particular word or, uh, with each of the, of the containers. The first one, he said, thank you. He just came up to the container and said, thank you. Once a day for a month. Next one, he said, you're an idiot. Came up to once a day said, you're an idiot. The third one he neglected altogether, didn't say anything to. At the end of a month, the results were that one that he spoke thanks to was fermented beautifully, and it was giving off a distinctive aroma. A second one in which he said, you're an idiot, was black and moldy, and the third one, which was neglected entirely, was rotted. The same container, the same rice. You know, we've heard stories about people speaking to their flowers and how they grow so well. Quantum physics is saying that's true. It's responding. When you speak, something is moving, and it's either going to be moving in a good direction towards beauty and towards eternity, or it's going to be moving in a negative way. It has to do with something that we speak. And I'll tell you, in the political scene, when people are blasting each other and calling each other idiots, you know, both sides, you know, it doesn't matter, Republican, Democrats, all going on. It's all moving in the wrong direction. We should start blessing each other. What would happen if all of a sudden we started complimenting the service of one another and all that? It would start everything in a whole new direction towards healing. Something is moving 
and it's not moving in a good direction, is it? When we speak, something moves. Second reason is you and I were recreated to speak with authority. You and I were recreated. It's interesting, I was reading Genesis 1, uh, 26, and God says, let us make man in our own image. And then he says, that they may have dominion, or that they may rule. The very thing, the first thing that he mentions is that there would be a reflection of his majesty and his authority and his glory, bringing into the created order on earth and giving us the stewardship to have that authority here. So I imagine Adam sees all these wild things coming at him. You know, I've never seen these things before, you know, mammoths and whatever there were. And, and he'd probably say, you know, God, what do I do with these? And God says, you name them. You speak to them. You give them a name. And so he gave that authority to Adam. He's given us as, as a church when we are converted to Christ. It's not just taking us back to Pentecost. It's taking us back to Genesis 126, where we have restored for us that rulership and that authority. And as the scripture says, we are kings and priests, right? You're a royal priesthood. The enemy has created an identity crisis here with us as, as Christians. We have an authority here. We can move into the streets. We can you know, proclaim blessing and love. And I say, wouldn't that be great to go into one of these protests and just say, hey, we love you, man. God loves you. Here, have a donut. You know, I know you're probably hot. Have some water. We brought some water for you. And that blessing, what that would do to the atmosphere. Because something moves when we speak. And if we speak blessing and if we are a reflection of the goodness of God and the love of God, and while we're yet enemies, what? He died for us, that we make the sacrifice for a person, even if they have a different political viewpoint than ourselves. We're to bless those who curse us, right? That's what Jesus said to do. But he's given us this authority here on earth. We were made to speak. And how do kings and queens, which you are, you are royalty. How do we reign and rule? By the words that we speak. A king that doesn't say very much isn't a very good king. We expect a king to speak. We expect a king by fiat or decree to state how we're to go, how we're to move. One of the sad things is uh, what we talk about, absentee parents in the home, where the child has no relationship with the head of the family, the king of the family, or at worst, neglected. No words at all. The impact that has on people. When you speak, something moves. We had a program over at the, uh, at the VA, and uh, at the end of the program, it's called ELP, Experiential Learning Program, and these veterans, at the end, they had like a celebration, and we packed the theater out with people and staff, and they had, each one had to get up in front of a person, in front of the audience, and speak. Say something. What did the program mean to you? What's changed? You know? And I tell you, there was more sweat on the floor than you can imagine. You know, these guys had never stood up before a group. And uh, you could see them trembling, and they're nervous, and they're awkward. And they'd get up and they'd say, hey, I just want to say thank you. This has changed my life. You know, however they said it, everyone spoke. And you know, something moved within all of us. 
God spoke about humility. God spoke about courage. God spoke, you know, how willing are you, Steve, to get up in front of people and, and share like that. There was something that was moving inside, drawn more closely to the vets. You know, they were just so humble and uh, just so eager for help and so broken. And something moved. And I say that's the way God has made it to be, that when we speak, something moves. The third thing is that the Holy Spirit expects us to speak. A spirit-filled life. Let me read these scriptures. Colossians 3.16. Do you have those verses up there, Jeremiah? Oh, okay, there it is right there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What's the outcome of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Singing, speaking, teaching, admonishing, encouraging one another. These are all verbal, spoken activities that God has told us are a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a corollary uh, verse to that, Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. If you want to show that. And do not be drunk with wine, and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There it is again. If you're filled with the Spirit, if you're filled with something, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. You can't be filled with something without speaking about it. If you're filled up with your favorite football team and watching that, then chances are you're speaking about football. If you fall in love with someone and that person is just a, a dream to you, chances are you're telling people about that person. I told, said last night, one of the best ways to be filled with the Spirit is just fall in love with Jesus. Just think about how great he is, how wonderful he is, what he's done for you, how sacrifice he made for us, and we dwell on the goodness of Jesus Christ. I fall in love with him. It's natural to speak and talk about someone about Jesus, speaking to, another, speaking to one another. And here's the good news. When we speak, the Holy Spirit partners with us. You see, words, the power of words isn't just in the formation of the word, the letters. The, the power is in the spirit behind that. And you know what it's like. You can hear a speaker, you know, and be absolutely bored to death. We had teachers like that, you know. They're just drawing the board like this. Say, man, you're just picking up a paycheck. You know, there's no passion here for this. And I, I lose interest. I start falling asleep, right? And there's another teacher that's really passionate about what he's doing. He's speaking the same subject, you know, but he's passionate about it. He's speaking about it. He's putting it on the board and saying, I'm, a, I'm, I'm glued to what he's saying because there's a different spirit. And when we speak about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there to fill that word, to fill that, that form with his grace, with his power, and to make it effective so that as Jesus, as God promised, that his word would not come back to him void, but would prosper the thing for which he sent it. I share one of my favorite stories about that because I know there's a fear element. There's, there's an awkwardness. We get pushed to our, our comfort zone. And at the end of the comfort zone, when God tells us to share something with someone or in some circumstance that I'm not used to, there's a physiology. You know, I'm feeling nervous, I'm feeling awkward, um, I, 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 I can't put my thoughts together, this is terrible. 
but we have to work through that physiology, and then once we do, then our comfort zones are expanded. We call that the veil of discomfort. That if I'm gonna grow, I have to address that veil of discomfort, walk through it, and quite often it's with our speech, what I'm speaking. And so we sent a team out when we were doing evangelism explosion, and we sent the team out on a Tuesday night, and they would visit people that come to church. And we wanted to share the gospel with them. And so we had teams trained up, and they went out, and this one team came back and said, oh, it's terrible. We did such a bad job. He said she was so angry at me, and she, and, uh, she was so frustrated, and she practically kicked us out. She just argued with everything that we said. And they, of course, they blamed themselves, you know, because they didn't get a good positive result. And so we said, well, you never know. All we are is we're just the messengers. We don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. The next Sunday, that woman accepted Christ, and she was in church. <laughs> because when the team left, she heard this little voice in her head that said, if that's the truth, why are you so angry? And her very negative reaction to what she knew was true convinced her of her need for Christ. And she gave her life to Christ. So what's the lesson in that? You speak, the Holy Spirit will do the job. Yeah. It's not how you speak it. It's not, you can mumble uh, through the words. You can be awkward with it. You can share it. But if you get it out, then the Holy Spirit says, now I can work with that. And that's the way God has partnered with his rulership, with our rulership here on earth. That we speak, we give a decree, and he comes and he fills it up. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. The Holy Spirit resurrects him, raises him up, and he comes bouncing out, you know, in his grave clothes. Didn't Jesus say, if you have belief in your heart, have no doubt, you can speak to this mountain and say, mountain, be moved into the sea, and it will obey you. Why? Because of the power of our words, the form of the letters? No, because the Holy Spirit promises to back up and he's looking for a speaker here to form the words that he can carry into the heart of an individual and change their lives. When you speak, something moves. And when we speak the word of God, it's the Holy Spirit moving into the atmosphere, moving into that person's life in order to make a change. I think you're pretty excited about it. That's so simple, isn't it? John Stott, one of the uh, great expositors of the 1980s, 1970s, around that time, John Stott, uh, he said that he spoke, he had a, uh, a speaking assignment to a college campus, and uh, he, he developed laryngitis that week, and he's debating whether he should cancel or whether he should follow through with it, and he decided in faith that he was gonna follow through on it. Well, he wasn't healed of the laryngitis, and he said, he spoke to these college students and he whispered the gospel, whispering into the microphone. Now you see why God would do that. When somebody whispers, what do you do? You listen a little bit more attentively, right? Yeah. And he said, he whispered the gospel and he had more people come to the Lord after that meeting than he has ever had in his life. Whispering the gospel. You see, it's not how you say it. It's that you say it. And the Holy Spirit will take that and bring into completion. When you speak, something moves. 
and something will move, definitely. I said last night, how many of you came to Christ because someone spoke something to you? Share the gospel there. Yeah, mm-hmm, okay, yeah, raise your hand. Someone had to say something, right? And that moves something within you and you came to Christ. And probably the one who told you had no idea what was going on, what the Holy Spirit was doing. Okay, there's certain occasions for speaking God's word very quickly. One is prayer, one that we speak God's word to him in prayer. Arnold Gesswein used to speak on prayer, and he said, told the story of an individual who went to a pastor, and he said, what do I do to get answers to prayer? And he said, well, the farmer over there, he's one of our deacons that asked him. He always gets his answers to prayer. So he went over to talk with this individual, and the farmer just said this. He said, plead the promises of God. Plead the promises of God. What God has said in his word, bring that up to him and say, Lord, bring it into being. Bring it into being in my family and my life. I would strongly suggest to you that if you're dealing with a financial issue, if you're dealing uh, with a loss, or if you're dealing uh, with grief, if you're dealing with depression, that the first thing, the starting point, is to get a verse, that, a promise about that. And uh, David was a master at this, wasn't he? That he could feel all kinds of different emotions, King David in the Bible. And he would pray that back to God. And one of the most powerful things to say in prayer is, God, you said. Why is that powerful? It's because the confidence we have, says James, uh, 1 John, sorry, 1 John 5, is this is the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, that he answers. Why was this farmer getting his, his uh, prayers answered? Because he was praying the will of God, God's word, you said, in prayer. Secondly, when we face temptation, how did Jesus respond when the Satan came to him and said, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? He's trying to find a hook in him, right? What was Jesus' response? Someone said that Jesus could have just opened up his garments and his glory would have blown Satan, you know, back a few hundred miles. He chose a different way. He said what? He said, it is written. And Satan is not, omnip- he's not omniscient. He doesn't know all the thoughts that are going in my head. God does, but Satan doesn't. And the way that Satan operates is he puts a thought in our mind or he gives us, a, exposes us to a temptation and see how we respond. And if we respond with depression or give in to it, and he says, no, I, now I know I've got a hook. And you'll see it again and again and again and again. And so Jesus could say later, he said, Satan has no hook in me. There's nothing that he has done that I've yielded to or responded to. And the way that Satan knows that is because something was said. And he said, I'm not following what you're saying. It is written. I'm following God's word. And I told Vets, I said, this is so simple to you, but, but think about this. That at nighttime, which is often our worst time, isn't it? I'm engaged in things during the day. At night I hit the pillow and all these thoughts, memories from the past, failures of the past come in. And our vets deal with this all the time. And I said, if you consider just speaking God's word. And when all these thoughts come in, say, you know, I have the mind of Christ. Or God has promised to give his beloved sleep. So I'm not listening to all of this. And Satan knows that until he hears a word spoken from us that counters what he's doing. He'll continue to wrap on that particular hook. 
How does he know that we're not following? And he often gets discouraged like he did with Jesus. He said, well, this isn't working. I've got to get away and think this through again. Yep. And so, so when we were facing temptation, one more story. Um, we had a couple that started the healing rooms in Grants Pass years ago. And uh, they used to talk about as a married couple, they said that quite often they feel unrest and and uh, agitation with each other. And if they were going to bed that way, they said that what they would do habitually is they would get up and they would speak around the house God's word and just speak God's word. And it was like peace would come in and they would be able to sleep. They did this habitually. They said there wasn't a time that they didn't speak. And from our standpoint, exercise authority over that situation, over that temptation, over that darkness. And there was a response. Why? Because when we speak, something moves. And I just want to encourage you, whether you're evangelizing, whether you're out in the streets, I see, uh, I see churches gathering and coming out in the streets. That's where the action is. That's where God's calling us out of the building, you know, to address and to display our rulership here in love and gratitude and thanksgiving and to spread that out. I just see masses of Christians going out in the streets with a completely different attitude and speaking something differently and out of that will come great changes god says to meditate on a word he says to memorize it he says to uh, pray about it but for god's sake and your sake and the sake of our nation and the sake of your friends and your family speak god's word and see things happen. Can you say amen? Amen. Uh